0: I Thank you, Austin and Lulu, for leading us in that time of worship. Uh, this evening, we're going to reflect on the themes of pride and humility from the book of Proverbs. And I've tried to already sort of outline where we're going to be going on the, the board there if you're able to see it and if my handwriting's legible, so that's a double, double if there, but I'm doing my best. So that's where we're at. Uh, some people really like to know where we're going in the bigger picture of things, and so for those of you uh, here's where we're going. For the rest of you, you can do something else for a moment, but uh, next week, outdoor service, we're going to look at Psalm 27, uh, and then uh, Tommy Hanna's ordination service at Christchurch, and then I'll be on vacation for two weeks, so uh, other people will preach to you in the evenings, and then uh, when I get back, we're going to start looking at 1 Timothy, uh, thinking about uh, Paul's instructions both to Timothy and to the church about church life and those sorts of things. So that's, that's where we're going. So this is wrapping up for now our study of uh, wisdom from Proverbs that we've been in for the last couple months here. So if you have questions about pride and humility or just some general questions about Proverbs that you've been hanging on to, here's your last chance tonight to uh, think of those. We've been saying throughout this that Proverbs is not just about doing what's right or wrong, not doing what's wrong, but it's about living wisely, navigating the complexities of life. Okay? And that's part of the wisdom of the Bible is recognizing that there are complexities to life beyond just black and white, right and wrong. Okay? There are objectively right and wrong choices to make, ways to be in the world, but beyond that, there's also wisdom questions, okay? Uh, uh, the Proverbs to Lemuel that we haven't looked at, but right at the end of Proverbs 31, it's instructions from a king, foreign king's father to this foreign king, and a bunch of them are about t- warning king, uh, king Lemuel not to abuse wine and strong drink, or he'll become a foolish king, okay? Uh, is there too many drinks and that's a wrong thing to do? Yes, is it wise to have two glasses of wine at lunch on Sunday afternoon when you have to come teach in the evening. Well, that's not so much a right and wrong, but like a, is that a wise or foolish? Do you see what I'm saying? There's complexities of life. Uh, I'm just naturally tired. I didn't have any wine for lunch in case you're, I shouldn't have planted that question in your heads, but uh, just to clear that up. Uh, but do you see what I'm saying? That there's, there's questions about wisdom and it's, it's just weighing what's the best option? Uh, what's best for me? Uh, and, and part of that just has to do with your own natural desires. It's related to what we talk about sometimes as common sense. Um, oftentimes we talk about common sense as, you know, that person just doesn't have any common sense, uh, but historically the idea of common sense from Latin "sensus communis, it's the community has a sense together about the way of doing things, okay? Um, there's nothing objectively right or wrong about driving on the right side of the road or the left side of the road, but in our community, we drive on the right side of the road. In the United Kingdom, you drive on the left side of the road. It's a community thing, but you need to have a sense for the way the community does things or else you'll cause traffic wrecks, okay? I mean, that's kind of a uh, stark example, but in the same way, there's different, um, you know, do you put the napkin in your lap or not? Do you put the fork on the right side or the left side? Do you, how do you greet someone when you meet them? Um, all those sorts of questions. Uh, do you say something when someone's flies unzipped or not? Those are kind of community questions that you have to have a little bit of a sense for the, the situation that you're in. And wisdom's related to that a little bit, of, of, of navigating the rights and wrongs. Okay, well, uh, one of the central things about wisdom is the contrast between pride and humility. We're going to see that contrast in a number of passages here, but we're going to begin with 11.2, Proverbs 11.2, the central contrast between pride and humility and humility. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Let's just kind of, uh, we see here this central contrast between pride and humility that's central to wisdom, and let's just reflect a minute on these key terms to get a sense of what the contrast is. Okay, The idea of pride, the word used, is about uh, even boiling up, but the idea is an exaggerated opinion of our own social standing that doesn't match reality. Okay, We think we occupy a higher place in society than we actually do, that we, our relative importance to that of the people around us is higher than it actually is. And in pride, we foolishly expect others to think just as highly about us. Okay? We overestimate our own importance. That's what pride is. And this term used here then, then comes disgrace. The idea is specifically uh, of disgrace. It's a social failure. Okay? In, 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 this, in uh, a, a, a social setting, you failed in some way. Disgrace or shame has come upon you as a result. How does pride lead to disgrace? Let's jump over just for a minute to 25, 6 to 7, and we have a graphic illustration of what this looks like, 25, 6 to 7 Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great, for it is, be, it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Okay, what's it saying there? It's saying, don't put yourself in the front row right next to the king, in the place of honor, or the place of the great, it's better if you're kind of at the back and someone says, come on up here, you're more important than that, than if you're up front and it's like, actually, you need to go to the back of the, you know, the idea, I guess, is maybe you're boarding the airplane and you try to sit in an empty first class seat. Okay, it's embarrassing to have the steward or the attendant walk you to the back of the plane. On the other hand, if the attendant says, you know, we got an extra seat in the front, why don't you come up here? You, you know, you look around and like, look at how important I am, everybody, that I was selected uh, for that. Uh, does this little proverb, don't put yourself forward in the king's presence, it's better to be told, come up here, does that remind you of anything? Something Jesus said. What's that? Yeah, there's a couple parables that kind of touch on this. Uh, Luke 14, 7-10. Uh, to 10. Parable of the wedding feast. Lulu's got it. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you give uh, both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you'll begin uh, with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, What's Jesus doing there? It's interesting. He's observing how people are behaving. He's reflecting on this theme from Proverbs, and he's kind of spelling it out, almost telling a little parable. Uh, And actually, if you read Jesus' parables with Proverbs in mind, it seems like he's doing this fairly regularly of uh, coming up with little short stories to illustrate the points of Proverbs. But the point we're making here is this is how pri- first comes pride, or when pride comes, then comes disgrace. When you overestimate your social standing, it leads to public humiliation. Uh, that, this is how it could happen, one example of how it could happen. Yeah, Albert. Oh, yeah, Haman and Mordecai, that's a great example from the book of Esther. That Haman thinks he's, uh, uh, the king asks him, you know, how would you honor a great man? And he thinks he's going to honor himself. And so he, you know, I would put him on the donkey and put the robe on him. I don't remember all the things he comes up with. And then it's for Mordecai, his enemy, and, and he's humiliated by it. But yeah. Um, but we do this all the time. We think of our own place as higher than it really is in a way that doesn't conform to reality and we're consistently angry and upset when other people don't agree with that estimation of our own place. Uh, It's a perennial human failure. Uh, I guess the illustration in my mind is my dad and I, uh, when I lived on Whidbey, still, uh, maybe five or six years in a row, did the Seafair Fun Run down in Seattle, and there along the power lines, there's markers saying, if you think you're gonna be running 730 miles, go here, eight minute miles, 830, nine, you know, by the miles, and people consistently line up way faster than they're actually gonna run. Uh, and it's much better to kind of be at the back and you're passing people, look how fast I am, than to line up at the front and you're just getting passed the whole time. So that, that was the illustration that came to mind, uh, to me anyways. Um, if you think it's too much, guys, I could have running illustrations for every single <laughs> sermon. <semester. laughs> I'm trying to show uh, a constraint. Um, The same contrast we see in a number of uh, passages here. 1812, 1812, before destruction a man's heart is haughty, or lifted up, but humility comes before honor. Okay, before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. We're seeing that same basic contrast. Uh, Lift your heart up uh, in this sort of negative sense of overestimating your place, and it, it, it comes before destruction. But on the other hand, humility comes before honor. And then 16, 18 to 19, a little bit more elaborate. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And actually there is a, uh, uh, in Hebrew, a play on words that we can almost catch in English. If uh, destruction shatter and a fall, if we put in like a spill or a stumble, pride goes before a shattering and a haughty spirit before a spill, that there's uh, uh, an alliteration there. It's better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Okay, so an elevated view of ourselves leads ultimately to a shattering. Why? Because when we overestimate our own self-importance, it doesn't conform to reality. And so inevitably, there will come a conflict between your own view of things and the reality of things. Okay, uh, does that make sense? At some point, reality is going to pop your bubble and it leads to destruction. Likewise, a haughty spirit, a lifted up spirit, sets you up for stumbling, for a fall. And so it's better to be, on the other hand, not of a raised spirit, but of a low spirit with the poor. Uh, 29, 23, one more uh, of these basic contrasts. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. It's paradoxical. One's pride, overestimating, putting yourself higher than you ought to be, will end up bringing you low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Uh, my supervisor in his Old Testament theology has a chapter on Isaiah, and there he brings to the forefront this theme of exaltation and abasement, which I guess abasement means putting down, Uh, but points out how prominent that theme is running through the book of Isaiah, that the proud lift themselves up, but Isaiah 2... I'll just flip over there real quick for a second... Isaiah 2:12 For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty against all that is lifted up it shall be brought low against all the cedars of Lebanon lofty and lifted up against all the oaks of Bashan against all the lofty mountains against all the uplifted hills against every high tower against every fortified wall against the ships of Tarshish against all that the beautiful craft against the haughtiness of man shall be humbled the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And that theme uh, that is summarized for us in Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor, really is a prominent fundamental theme throughout the Old Testament. That those who lift themselves up are ultimately brought low. Uh, think of Hannah's song, similar thing. Uh, and those who are lowly, who are humble, will be brought up. They will obtain honor. Honor. Why is pride such a problem? Okay. Uh, Proverbs tells us a couple reasons why pride's such a problem. First in 214, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Okay. fundamentally, it's not just a mistaken evaluation of your own place in the world, but it is sinful. Uh, I mentioned last week when we looked at uh, Proverbs 31, the lamp in Proverbs is oftentimes used as a symbol for life and hope. And so it's saying haughty eyes, lifted up eyes, a proud heart. That, notice there's both the outer and the inner. The eyes are the outer expression. The heart is the inner disposition. The pride uh, uh, is, pride it's the lamp of the wicked. It's, it's, it's the driving force behind wickedness, and it is fundamentally sin. Earlier in the book of Proverbs that we looked at last summer, in chapter 6, it, the Lord says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abominable to him, and the first among those is haughty eyes. Okay, pride. Likewise, in uh, chapter 8, verse 13, Wisdom herself says that she hates pride. So pride at its heart is fundamentally rebellion against God because in our overestimation of our own standing, we put ourselves even above God and ignore his place and his word to us. So that's why Isaiah 2 that I just read, the day of the Lord, it's a knocking down a few notches of all who are proud. It is, yes, self-idolatry. That's exactly right. We lift ourselves up, we put ourselves in the place of God, and it causes chaos. yeah, yeah good, good observation, lulu yes yeah, yeah, that's right and um, uh, yep, yeah, and we will connect to some of the beatitudes in a moment too, but yeah, exactly uh, yeah, and thats uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Emily because uh in that. In the narratives of the plagues, there's all of this sort of um, vocabulary of pride u- is used in different ways. Um, uh, uh, you're continuing to exalt yourself over my people, uh, Moses warns Pharaoh. And then he says, how long until you'll humble yourself? Uh, there's this continual language of Pharaoh greatly overestimates his place, thinking he's a god on earth. And so he gets cut down to size, yeah. Um, and, and connects to the heart and to sin and rebellion. 26.12 is interesting as well. Uh, 26.12 on the problems of pride. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You see a man wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for him. Well, why would that be the case? Why is there more hope for a fool than for someone who is wise in his own eyes? Yeah, Lulu? Lulu? He doesn't realize he's a fool, right? So he doesn't, he, yeah, he doesn't have a good self-understanding. Yeah, Andrew? Yeah. Yeah, someone who's wise in their own eyes doesn't seek help or a guide. Yeah, ex- I, y- exactly. Um, the fool, it's a hard process, but you can teach a fool to be wise. And partially that's what the beginning of Proverbs, those first nine chapters, is all about, is saying, come simple, learn wisdom, gain wisdom, wisdom. Uh, and it's calling the foolish to come and learn. But if you think you're wise in your own eyes, there's no need to learn anything. I already know it all. And, And so you're hopelessly lost. Do you guys remember what's the first principle of wisdom or the foundation of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and pride is opposed to the fear of the Lord. It overestimates your own place before God, Two great commandments are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And pride uh, cuts at the root of both of those. Okay? If you overestimate your own importance, it's hard to love your neighbor. Uh, so pride, it, it, it causes all sorts of problems. It's fundamentally a sinful attitude. It also leads to trouble in our speech. I didn't write these up here, but I'll just give you a couple real quick. Uh, Proverbs 25, 14 says, like cloud and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Okay, a prideful man who talks big, uh, you know, I'm going to do all these things, but never follows through. It's just hot air. It's like when you're wondering, do I need to water the garden today? Well, it's cloudy. I think it might rain, and then it never delivers. 27, 2. Uh, Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Uh, Two lessons there. On the one hand, accept the praise of others. That's okay uh, to do it humbly. On the other hand, don't praise yourself. Okay. Don't lift yourself up. Likewise, 3032 says, if you have been foolishly exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand over your mouth. That's interesting because it's saying there's two different things, that if you're doing these, put your hand over your mouth. Devising evil sounds quite bad. Foolishly exalting yourself, we think, well, that's not that bad, is it? And yet Proverbs is saying these both can lead to equal amounts of destruction. Put your hand over your mouth. Stop them both. Okay, there's a basic contrast between pride and humility. Pride causes problems because it's a sinful disposition that doesn't match up to reality, and it leads us to a spot where we are not teachable. Let's flip the corner then, or, or that's mixing metaphors. Turn the corner, flip the coin, do something. Changing gears from pride to humility. Uh, back to 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. With the humble is wisdom. Wisdom. Again, uh, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoils of the proud with the proud. Once pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. All those same contrasts, just looking at the other side of it now. Uh, humility leads to wisdom, and it leads to honor. In 11.2, with the humble is wisdom, uh, that word for humble there is a, 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 a unique word in the Hebrew Bible that's only used in one other place, uh, namely Micah 6.8. This uh, uh, key passage in the book of Micah and indeed in the minor prophets as a whole. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That word humble there is the same word that's used in Proverbs 11 too. And it's used to characterize the fundamental uh, attributes or characteristics of the right life. Okay, The sort of life we should live should be characterized by justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. If pride is about overestimating our place, lifting ourselves up, humility is about recognizing our limits and having an accurate judgment about our own social standing and our own place in the world and our own abilities. Okay, So humility is calmly accepting our limits and our place in the world. And so it's the opposite of pride in that respect. And yet you see how walking humbly with the Lord. It's recognizing we are not God. We are dependent on God. We are below God, subordinate to him, and yet we can walk humbly alongside him. Uh, Philippians 2 provides almost a definition of humility, or maybe I'll even say it does provide a definition of humility Uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The basic thing that you do when you're humble is counting others more significant than yourselves, looking to their needs as well as your own. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. That's what the humble disposition looks like. Counting others more important than yourself. Easily said, not so easily done. Okay? The thing about my needs and uh, my significance is it's really, really important to me. And so it's hard to count others more significant than yourself. A few more uh, proverbs on humility. Twenty-two, uh, 22.4 the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord. That's interesting that those two are correlated. In a sense, the humble person is the person who fears the Lord. Because if you fear the Lord, you stand in awe and reverence before God. You recognize your own smallness before God's bigness, if I can use those technical theological terms there, but uh, that's, you know, that's what fear of the Lord is about. That's what humility is about. Uh, reward, um, reward language is a little bit freighted in our day and age, but the idea there is one follows from the other, um, that it's, it, it's almost natural cause and effect. Um, Derek Kidner had a great line on this that I should have written down and didn't, but says that the, uh, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor in life, because God is God, and this is the way he set up the universe. It will, one inevitably follows from the other, but it follows from the other in God's good timing, okay? It's not be humble for five minutes, get riches, okay? If it was that you know, strict of a correlation, then no one would ever be prideful and everyone would be humble before the Lord just to get rich, right? Uh, but the sense is eventually, in God's good providence, this is the way that things work out. And of course, the key term there of riches, honor, and life is life, because riches and honor without life really are worth nothing. Okay, Riches for a few years and then death, so what? Okay, Honor for a moment and then to be forgotten, so what? But life and life abundantly, that's key. And here then, we should connect this to the Beatitudes. The first and third in particular come to my mind, Um, and I know Pastor Dave has been Preaching a good series on these, um, although somewhat spaced out. What's the first beatitude? According to Matthew? Yeah, the poor in spirit. And what will the poor in spirit get? The kingdom of heaven. And then the third beatitude: blessed are the meek. What do the meek do? they inherit the earth. That's right. Okay, so Jesus is making the same point, that the the poor in spirit and the meek, they inherit the kingdom of heaven and the earth. Uh, As I already pointed out, this dynamic of abasement and exaltation, that God cuts down the proud, he lifts up the humble, it's really fundamental to biblical theology. It runs through... The entire Bible and Proverbs, uh, yeah, so you see it in things like Hannah's Prayer, uh, you see it throughout the Old Testament, you see it in the suffering servant in Isaiah, crops up all over the place. And then if you keep reading on in Philippians 2, where I was at, um, uh, where Paul gives this definition of humility, counting others more significant than yourself, then he roots it in the gospel. He says, Because this mind is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped onto, to be held onto, to be used for his own good, but humbled himself, pouring himself out, taking on the form of a servant. And so it's paradigmatic for the Christian life because this is what Christ himself did. What Proverbs contributes to this broad biblical theological theme that the proud are cut down and the humble are lifted up is giving some texture to what it looks like to be proud, uh, and what it looks like to be humble. We've already seen some examples of what it looks like to be proud. Just drawing together some of these ideas about humility that we've heard from these Proverbs, uh, and this is drawing on a guy named Aitken in his Proverbs commentary. The humble are teachable, okay? they're the, the opposite of someone who's wise in their own eyes. Someone who's humble recognizes that they need help, that they have things to learn. And so the humble are teachable. The humble avoid needless conflicts, okay? Disagreement in the nature of the case happens. That's part of what wisdom is about is that people have different uh, ideas that they think might be best, different courses that they might recommend. But when pride is involved, that's when conflict in a negative sense happens because what I want butts up against what you want and now we have a problem. But if you're humble, that needless conflict is deflated. It's just sit down, let's talk it through, and figure out which way to go. Okay? Uh, the humble don't fall into the snare of their own pretension. If you don't have an overinflated bubble, there's nothing there to pop to your own destruction. And the humble walk on the safe and sure path. They walk humbly before the Lord. Just to summarize then this humble life, Proverbs 3, 5 and 7, through 7 Again, going back to the prologue, we looked at this last summer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The humble person trusts in the Lord with their whole heart. They don't trust in their own strength. They don't lean on their own understanding, but lean, and that idea of leaning is not just slightly off kilter, but it's what you're putting your your support on. They lean on the Lord, acknowledging him in all of our ways, walking with him, he'll make our path straight. And then notice, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Likewise, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. That's wisdom speaking there, kind of our last closing word. Wisdom hates pride, kind of a strange thought. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Haven't you read... Haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know what they say? Yeah. Yeah, Andrew. Hmm. I think prayer is prayer is an important part of that. Praying for humility is probably a risky thing to do, but not not therefore a bad thing to do. Um. Uh, and I think. Um, uh, say what you want of Rick Warren, but uh, he sort of misquoted C.S. Lewis in a way that is somewhat useful. That's um, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay, so it's, it's in a sense going out of yourself, focusing on others. Um, uh, but prayer, I think, is, is, is fundamental to it because it's first evaluating your right standing before God. I know myself to be a sinner dependent on you each day. And once you recognize that, Okay, yeah, everybody else here is a bunch of sinners too and do foolish things, but if I know myself to be a sinful fool, then it puts me in good position. Those would be a good question, Andrew. Do you have thoughts on that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah, so Jesus warns against, you know, blowing trumpets when you're giving to the poor, like you're doing it... um, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's some company that gave like $10 million and spent another $10 million advertising that they'd given 10 million. You know, that kind of a thing is just rampant in our, um, in our time. Uh, so, so there is a real risk of that, that you're in the very act of, look how much I've given. You're lifting yourself up and, and falling into pride. And part of that is that our heart is so, uh, deceitful. <laughs> the heart's deceitful above all else and so we even trick ourselves thinking we're doing something for one reason and we actually have another motive at the same time so we do need to be careful. Um, in terms of self-examination, yeah, continually going back to um, uh, the end of Psalm 19, uh, declare me innocent of my hidden faults. There's things going on that I don't know about uh, and, and help protect me from those. Um, uh, how about you guys? Do you have thoughts on that? How to, how to be careful, guard our motives? Dan? Dan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most humble person ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Albert? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's an important practice. Yeah, Eli. Yeah, yeah, reflecting on our motives. Yeah, being careful there. Yeah, uh, Craig. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that's and that's. Uh, that's part of why we need wisdom to do this, is that it is sorting through difficult questions and motives and, um, yeah, uh, I think Sarah, maybe and then Steve, I didn't see which order. Um, yeah, there, it, yes. (laughs) Uh, the, one of the Proverbs that I didn't write on the board, but just read out, uh, quickly was, uh, let another praise you and not your own mouth. And there's a way of, like, not being able to receive a compliment for something that you've done or, or praise, um, likewise a stranger, not your own lips. Um, that there is, Proverbs does say, um, uh, this time it was don't put yourself up too high in, the, in front of a king. Um, last week, or two weeks ago when we were looking at work, there was that proverb about um, the, the craftsman who's good at his trade will eventually be before the king. And so there's a recognition that being faithful in your daily thing will lead to some public recognition for that. So yeah, there is definitely um, uh, a self-deprecation that's sort of a false humility because it's saying I can't do that. Well, that's the point, you can't do that, but we do it in dependence on God and that's what we're called to do. Um, uh, I can't do this in my natural strength, uh, but it's what I'm called to do, and so you know, try to do it each week um, uh, by God's strength. And then there's also, I suppose, space where humility can be abused in an unhealthy relationship, where one partner is continually trying to be humble and the other partner is uh, prideful and, and, you know, um, that that means use wisdom to make a good match ahead of time. I guess once you're in that situation, it's hard to get out of it um, or or make it work. Yeah. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. 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 And I think that that language of ordinary means of grace, um, it recognizes on the one hand that there are at times extraordinary things that God does, and that's true. Um, But it also recognizes that what we want as natural, sinful people, we're like Naaman in First or Second Kings who comes to Elijah or Elisha, whichever one it is, and he has leprosy and uh, he's told to go wash in the Jordan River. And he says, well, we got way better rivers back home. What in the world do I want to wash in your dirty Jordan River for? Uh, and he despises what he's told to do because it's too simple, it's too humble, it's too ordinary. And I think that that's the natural, sinful disposition towards the ordinary means of grace is saying... Um, you know on the internet there's these stupid banner ads that are always like one weird trick to you know lose weight or to get taller or whatever all these do you know what i'm talking about these like stupid things that are and that's what as a society we crave is like there's just some one weird unique thing out there and if i just you know snort cayenne pepper i'm gonna get super bulky like like <laughs> captain america and that's that's what we want is just some gimmick and yet we're not given a gimmick we're given ordinary means that we're told no, just read the same book that people have been reading for 2,000 years. Pray. Do these simple, ordinary things. Come to church. It's a simple, ordinary gathering of people under God's word. Eat a little meal. Okay, it's not a nice steak. It's not fancy wine. It's a little uh, grape juice that I don't even like and some bread. And sorry, there's my opinions coming through. But uh, in the ordinariness of, of, of it God is working in a way that is totally beyond our means to transform us. And and so to, yeah, not look down on the ordinary means that we're given, yeah, it's a great comment, Steve. I think I saw Ben had his hand up. Yeah. Yeah. And there can be a fear of failure as well. That you know, what if I do it and it doesn't come out well, and then everybody's gonna look down on me? And it's like, well, what if if everybody if yeah, there's a risk involved. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, we should turn to our time of prayer. This is good conversation. Um, uh, Are there requests or Thanksgiving?